0: This is Shane Gibson's Closing Bigger Sales Podcast from ClosingBigger.net. Today we've got a guest interview with Craig Elias. Craig is the founder of a sales process called Trigger Event Selling, uh, as well as you can go to his website, ShiftSelling.com. He's the creator of the Trigger Event Selling and contributing author of the number one sales book on Amazon and the Wall Street Journal, Masters of Sales. Craig has, for almost 20 years, used timing strategies to be a top sales performer at every company he's worked for. He also has received coverage on NBC News, New York Times, The National Post, Sales and Marketing Magazine, and won a million-dollar prize. That's right, million-dollar prize in a billion-dollar idea competition. Craig, thanks a lot for calling in today.
1: Jane, my pleasure.
0: Great. So let's, I'd like to start off with, uh, I guess, hearing a little bit about this million-dollar prize and, and how you put that together. When, when did this occur?
1: Uh, so this all happened in the fall of 2003. I was a top sales guy for WorldCom when they admitted to – fact, I was the top sales guy at WorldCom when they admitted conducting all this accounting fraud. And I had an idea for a business, and it was pretty simple. The, we as salespeople – the good ones as far as I'm concerned. We're always out there helping customers solve problems. Yeah. And very often, we learn of problems that aren't related to what we sell. Mm-hmm. So the idea here was simply to create an exchange where salespeople become aware of information, pass it on to somebody else, and if it results in a sale, they earn a finder's fee.
0: Oh, excellent. And this won you the competition.
1: It was very interesting because it, it, uh, I started this about the same time LinkedIn got started. Yes. And in many ways, it's like LinkedIn, but in reverse. Okay. And I was just totally juiced about this. So what happened was the competition was put up by a guy named Tim Draper, and he gives you 1,500 characters, not words, 1,500 characters to describe your idea. And from all the ideas, he's supposed to pick 10. Turns out he picks 11. we the 11th. Wow. We get five minutes of fame via webcam, and we got a pitcher idea. And I, and I had worked long and hard, and I was maybe a little tired, and you could just see the emotion in everything that I said, and it was 30 seconds into the pitch, and Tim was already asking me questions. And from that moment on, I was absolutely convinced I was going to go win this competition.
0: Great. That's fantastic. So let's talk about... Uh, trigger event selling in this process. You've been a sales yep. performer for all of your life, uh, most of your life, for at least the last 20 years. And yep. uh, you know this process is, as you described to me, is about getting in front of the right people at the right time. Is that correct?
1: That, that is correct. And, and what most people don't realize is when the right time is. Great. And the right time is what is called a window of dissatisfaction. So when we're out there selling, the people we're selling to are all one of three different buying modes. The first one's called status quo. The buyer's happy, sees no reason to change. Yeah. The the other end of the buyer is actively engaged in this process of searching for alternative. They know what they have is no longer sufficient. They're doing something about it. Yeah. But between these two is what is called a window of dissatisfaction. Someone's unhappy enough to complain, but not... Not unhappy enough to go do something about it. Mm-hmm. So, this was the first epiphany that I had. And then I realized it was a trigger event that put, puts people in the window of dissatisfaction. Absolutely. And that's how this whole process started. In fact, this was all embedded behind the solution that won that million dollar idea contest.
0: Great. So, as we look at this, we look at uh, trigger events and There's many, you know, as you look at the marketplace, there's many situations and circumstances, whether it's even changes in government that create that level of just dissatisfaction because they're dealing with new red tape or, uh, you know, you referred to, uh, you know, looking at there's also a major scandal in industry which puts pressure on people to make changes in their business or they need to. Uh, or yep. on a personal level, uh, someone has a baby and all of a sudden this sort of footloose and fancy free couple, now they need to get out of their bachelor pad and, and actually buy a home, for instance. So, you know, and I, and I guess I look at those as, as trigger events. Is, am I on the right track here?
1: The event that drives more people to buy life insurance than every other event combined is when someone becomes a parent. Yes. A mom and a dad. The, a good way for me to explain the difference between a circumstance and an event is married men going bald. <laughs> there's lots of married men going bald in America but nobody goes and buys Rogaine because that's a circumstance but when they become single that's the event and all of a sudden they go away and buy Rogaine
0: <laughs> that's a great analogy
1: and, and, and that's true with all of our customers if we don't get to them at the right time the emotion related to the event has turned this into a circumstance and they're no longer likely to, to act yeah that
0: makes sense Now,
1: you defined these, if I can, you you talked about the different types of events. There are three types of events. Okay. The first one is someone has a bad experience, Mm -hmm. which we're all familiar with. The second one is a change or transition, and it's a change in people, places, or priorities. Last one is around an awareness strategy. People become aware there's a better way, better, faster, cheaper is what we all try, but those don't work. Uh, you talked about a change in government policy. That is a legal reason to change, a reason to change because of risk avoidance. That's the life insurance piece. Yes. And maybe some economics. Those are the big events that drive people to change their buying patterns. Yeah.
0: So I'm let's say I'm selling for I don't know, uh boy, what am I selling? Let's say I'm in the business to business space and I don't know, I'm selling uh, GPS systems for fleets of vehicles, uh, large fleets, tracking trucking organizations all over North America, and I'm selling the software and the hardware package. How do I scan the marketplace for these trigger events and and get to the right people at the right time? What what would would you do for developing that prospecting strategy?
1: So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to assume you're not a startup. So I'm going to assume you've got some customers. and you've made some sales in the past, there is a process called one sales analysis, spelled W-O-N, as in when you win a piece of business or when you have won a piece of business, one sales analysis. And a one sales analysis is very simple. You go ask someone, when (laughs) someone becomes your customer for the first time, once you've made the sale, but before you start delivery of the product or service, four very simple questions. What was the event or what was the change that led up to this purchase? Mm-hmm. When did that event or change happen? What made you choose us? And what could we have done better? So those customers that you have, those are your best indicators of what were the trigger events that had all those people buy from you in the past. Now you know what they are. Go find a whole bunch more just like it.
0: Gotcha. So is this so online I mean online a web is a tool? What are some of the tools that one could use online to be doing this type of scanning of the marketplace? Do you suggest i mean obviously that 's that process that you talked about earlier uh, your your million dollar idea uh, yep. what type of tools like that are out there for people to utilize because you know a lot a lot of our research is done on the web now, but I think yeah, a lot of people go to the corporate about us page and they Uh, and that's their level of research but it sounds like there might be some other ways to dig up information what what would you suggest
1: so for me the biggest thing is a change in people in an organization yeah so one of the things that I love to do there's a great service called sales fuel f-u-e-l yes okay and and they will tell you when there has been a change in management the second thing we can do is if we use a service like Constant Contact or Message Slinger, something that allows us to send out an email once a month or every two weeks to our clients, some sort of update, an event we're hosting or some prize we're giving away. A lot of organizations have these uh, either direct mail or email systems, but they use them in completely the wrong way. When you send an email out to a group of people and some of them bounce back, the vast majority of companies then delete those people from that mailing list. And that's the wrong thing to do. Uh-huh. Because what's happened here is they've moved, haven't they? Yeah, so there's a change. There's an there's event. There's a change. There's yeah, an that's event. An, and that's, that's fantastic. That, and that actually creates three totally different opportunities. The first one is... Is the person that bought from you in the past, they're likely to buy from you again. Let's find out where they went. The second one, the person that's taken their place. Odds are the person that's taken their place will have a different set of expectations than the person that was there before. You need to phone that person, find out what their expectations are to make sure that you keep them as a customer and maybe even use the opportunity to get a greater share of that buyer's budget. Yeah. the third opportunity is this one so somebody's left the person that took their place they must have also left a job so how do you go back to the person's so let me explain this a little better the person, so Jim leaves John takes his place so we're going to follow Jim to where he went we're going to phone John and find out what are his expectations Yeah. where did John used to work, yeah he worked somewhere else Janet's taken his place. Janet now has different expectations than the last person did. she's also highly likely to change yeah
0: fantastic yeah I, I can think of a you know a couple clients of mine, one of them, uh, a large financial services company here in Canada, and I banged on that door and tried every angle for a number of years and then again uh, they had a new VP come in and a new executive assistant and next thing I know it, uh, I've got an ongoing relationship with them that will probably last years now and you're right, it all came to that shift in personnel. That's a, that's a major opportunity I think many people miss.
1: Now, there's, there's two of these and I want to share a second one because that's the first one that's important. There's a change in people on the buyer's end but there's also very often a change on the seller's end. So you can't get into an account because I, too, I do too good a job and I'm your competitor, keeping my customer happy. But when I leave and my replacement takes over, they don't do as good a job as I did. Yeah. The buyer then becomes unhappy. Absolutely. So a change in salespeople for your competitors is also another great opportunity.
0: Yeah. In moving through this process, you've moved through – You're looking at these opportunities, these trigger events in the marketplace. Is there any... Okay, that's a great one. Do you have any other thoughts on major changes that people are going to be scanning in the marketplace or looking for?
1: Those for me are the big ones. So it's either a change, so it's generally a change in people, a a change in places. Yeah. So someone moves to a certain geography or away from a different geography, and in the financial services sector, the biggest opportunity in the financial services sector, if I was selling for, let's say, Investors Group or any of those other organizations, is people that move into my province. When they move into a different province, the, province, the, the, the financial advisor they have is not licensed to do business in that province. Therefore, they have to go get themselves a new financial advisor.
0: Yeah, so you have to move their, they have to, in essence, there's an opportunity to move the whole book over in a lot of cases.
1: And, and what I understand about the financial services industry, when someone moves a book, the commissions are three times higher than when they grow it.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's people who specialize in that, really. I, I talked to a, a very senior guy who does succession planning, and that's another, I guess, that's not the event, that would be a circumstance, but someone's hit a certain age, but they need to look at now moving out of sort of this active. Uh, process in their life financially and now they're planning their succession maybe they're got a family business for instance and he said that a lot of these asset gatherers do them huge favors because they educate the client but they don't have the capacity to do the succession planning so this is where you yep. can walk in and grab the entire book
1: Yep, and 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 part of what you're talking about is a process. So it's it's important to not scan the landscape and see what events can happen, but it's also important to have relationships with people in the industry that are in the know when these events happen, and you can get referred to somebody else.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So, and I think this is one of the things we look at as salespeople, and and I talk about this over and over again. I'm, I'm a big believer in. Being a member, for instance, of your local board of trade but or chamber of commerce, but not just being a member and, and going out and drinking the wine, eating the cheese and shaking hands, but volunteering and connecting to the people who are in the know and really developing these in-depth relationships. And I think one of the challenges with salespeople, and maybe you can give, give me some feedback on this is a lot of salespeople are very short-term. They, they show up at a couple of events for a couple months, they don't get any immediate business, and they move on to look for more low-hanging fruit. How much opportunity are these people missing because of that strategy?
1: Uh, they're probably missing more business than they really want to know. Yeah. I'll explain yeah. why. Uh, if I go to a chamber event and you're a prospect, odds are maybe 5% you'll buy from me. Yep. So I have to go to Absolutely. lots of different events to meet lots of prospects. But if I need in my world, I have some very great sources of referrals. Business coaches, strategy consultants, search engine optimization experts, and uh, marketing consultants. When I go out networking, I'm not trying to find any customers. What I'm trying to find are people who already have as customers those that I want as customers. So I'll meet, let's say, an accountant, and we'll get together, and I'll give him some of my advice on how he can grow his business. He feels what it's like to be my customer. In that conversation, more times than not, he's already thinking of people to pass me on to. So by networking with one person, I'm gathering probably 20 sales instead of trying to network with one person at an event where I have a 5% chance of getting one sale. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Go, go find these other, find these other search providers that sell a complementary product or service.
0: And I think that's the challenge is that what you'll hear time and time again, no matter how good the group is, I find you'll still have the people who will say, you know, there's just not enough decision makers there. You know, I didn't, I, I met a lot of salespeople like me, or I met a lot of small business consultants or whatnot, uh, or small business people that are consultants, but I didn't meet, you know, the the, the bells of the world, the bell candas of the world, or whatnot. And, yeah, they really are missing the whole opportunity to build that network. I agree. And it's, it's becoming referable as well. So you, you gave one really good tip there, and that was, of course, add value by actually giving that accountant or that lawyer or the other business coach, in essence, a taste of what you deliver, but not just a, a teaser, actually help impact their business positively. Is there any yep. other tips you have for our listeners on how to build build credibility with your network so that you become referable? What were some of your other thoughts?
1: So there, the credibility comes in three forms. Uh, first one is relationship credibility. Uh, second one is leverage credibility, be referred. The third one is expertise credibility. So whatever you do, find a way to create a certain set of expertise around something, and people will want to refer you because you have expertise in something. That's that's one way. The other piece of the story here though, Shane, is that the reason that credibility is so important is that when we try to sell something, people, the first thing they do is they think of the risk they take on in being our customers. Absolutely. So one of the most important things is the first time you try to make a sale, do one of two things. Either A, reduce the scope or the dollar value of the sale so they don't think it's less risky. Yes. Or find a way to complement what they have instead of trying to replace it.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, no, there's uh, a client of mine who sells satellite. T- he's no longer. He's moved on to another organization, but for a number of years he was a VP of sales for a satellite telecommunications company, Kerry Healy. And his one line with his guys constantly was, "Guys, you have to find out how to take the fear of saying yes out of the equation." And that's such a powerful tool, that, that credibility or that capacity to make it easier to do business with us. Uh, I, I think it's hilarious. Some say, you know, people will pride themselves on the fact that their company is innovative. But to the average large bureaucratic organization with big, deep pockets, innovation means extra work for them, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> it does in many ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. So... I know we've been uh, rolling along here for a while, but I've got a couple more questions for you. And I, I guess one of them is you've, you know, you've looked at these trigger event selling process. Beyond trigger events and, uh, and beyond being long-term in focus, what other characteristics of top-performing salespeople have you observed? What are some of the other things that you observed that really are consistent across the board as far as characteristics of top-performing salespeople? Uh,
1: number one, the focus on relationships. That uh, if you have someone who's not ready to buy, which happens more times than not, how do you focus on becoming what is called the buyer's emotional favorite, not just a trusted advisor, but someone they would prefer to do business with? Great. So that's the first thing I, I found. The other thing I found is that really good salespeople they understand when someone's ready to buy and when they're not, because if you apply the wrong strategy at the wrong time, you ruin the relationship.
0: Great point. Great point.
1: Here's here's something else they do, and there aren't many guys I've found that do this. You phone somebody, and they say to you something along the lines of, you know what, Shane, I'm glad you phoned. It's something on my list to get done, but I'm not looking at it yet. Why don't you phone me back in October when I'm going to be looking at it? Most salespeople will phone back in October. Yeah. Some of the good ones, yeah, but some of the good ones, they think they're really savvy. They're going to phone two weeks early and get the head start. Mm -hmm. The problem is that by the time October rolls around or even September 15th, the buyers had this problem on their radar screen for a while. They found a way to solve the problem. The best salespeople, when someone says, I'm not looking at what's on my list, they know that's the best opportunity they have. There is no competition. And those are the deals they focus on, not the ones that are coming up in October because October is way too late.
0: Yeah. Yeah, in between, I mean, it's developing that relationship. And we go back to the credibility and trust and creating an environment where an act of faith can take place. And that's really only going to happen if you build that relationship. You're in the same spot in October if you call them, as you were in the initial call. Yet there's that huge window that you're right. A lot of people just overlook. And... I think that a lot of times, too, from a sales process perspective, and now this is something that I guess maybe is a, is a question for you, not just a statement on my behalf, but I believe that, that, you know, as there's many sales gurus out there, and you and I have probably read all of their books, and some of them are fantastic, but they tout yep. to have the absolute best sales process, you know, while well, mine's better because of this and that. I believe the best sales process is the buying process your buyer follows. What do you think of that statement?
1: I I agree, and it's funny because a lot of people have said that this is really what I'm helping people do is understand the dynamics that are going on when people are buying and simply helping them buy. I'm not trying to make a sale. I'm helping the buyer buy when they want to buy the most.
0: Well, great, Craig. I'm going to probably wrap it up from here. I know I've had you on the line for a while. If you want to learn more about Craig Elias, you can visit shiftselling.com. He's also got a shift-selling group on LinkedIn you may want to check out and join. I know I did a little while back, and it's good information there as well. And craigelias.com as well, and that's C-R-A-I-G-E-L-I-A-S.com. Thanks for coming, Craig.
1: My pleasure, Shane, have a great weekend.
0: This is Shane Gibson with Closing Bigger Sales Podcast from ClosingBigger.net.